You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. When I was a teenager, uh, and this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, uh, I was a bit of a dumb kid. Um, At the very least, I was normal teenage boy dumb. Uh, Sorry, guys. But uh, not not dumb, and you'll get why. You'll get what I'm saying. I remember one day, uh, my mom had to run to the store, and she asked me to move the laundry over from the washer to the dryer. So when the washer buzzer goes off, I did as I was asked. I moved the laundry over from the washer to the dryer. And so then some 30 minutes, an hour later, my mom gets home, and she goes and she checks the dryer. She goes straight to the dryer, mind you. She knew to check. And uh, I remember being kind of smug. I remember thinking, you thought I wouldn't do it. You thought I would forget. And then when she checks, lo and behold, and you might have picked this up by now, I hadn't started the dryer. And the clothes were just as wet sitting in the dryer as when I put them in there. And so we kind of, you get where I'm getting at here, right? You get, you get this idea that as a dumb teenage boy, I did what my mom asked me to do, but I really didn't do what she asked me to do, right? I did specifically the thing that she asked me, but I had essentially left undone the one thing that she wanted. And so when we come to a passage like this today, it can be easy to sit here on the outside and think, wow, really missed the point there, pal. But it's easy for us to say because, you know, we're not drowning in teenage boy brain. No, a text like this is important because it reminds us that we're all blinded by something, right? We all have something, that piece of ourselves that blocks our perception, right? That blocks our view of the Lord and, and keeps us from living that life that we ought to live, and so now we're going to see today is that in this story, as familiar as it is, it has something very important and very fresh to tell us. And we're going to see that this rich young man's problem was not that he was rich, and it was not even that he was teenage boy brain. His problem was a heart and worship problem. And we can relate to that, can't we? Let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we have this opportunity to come together and worship. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would move in your spirit to uh, illuminate the scripture today. Help us to understand what you'd have us understand. Give us ears to hear your word today. And uh, yeah, I just pray that you'd move in this, Lord. And we thank you for everything you give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I want to remind us again, this is a familiar passage. Right? Many of us have heard this before, and maybe in Sunday school, you know, we hear this, we learn about it, and, and it's easy to, uh, to walk away from a familiar passage and just say, yep, I know that one. It's easy right now, sitting in these seats, I, because I know, I've done this, you can tune out. You can say, oh, I've got this one, maybe next week will be something relevant. And we just turn our brains off, and then we wait. We just sit it out through service, right? But I want to challenge you. Let's, let's try to set these memories aside, and let's try to come at this a little fresh today. So, if you grab your Bibles, let's turn 
to Matthew 16, sorry, 19, verse 16. We're going to read 16 and 17. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And so when we start this passage, we see a a sort of interjection here, right? And behold, a man came up to him. And it almost feels like this guy is intruding, right? We've been having a good time these last few weeks. We've been talking about marriage. We talked about eunuchs last week. Um, And there's a little passage in between last week and this one where some kids come up to Jesus. and, And, you know, it's a really sweet scene with Jesus and these children, and, and it's in the middle of this that, like, some guy bursts forth, burst forth, and he says, Jesus, what must I do? And so let's keep that in mind as we read through this passage that we've been talking about marriage and being like a child. And, and essentially, like, we've been talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then this guy shows up. And right away, he asks Jesus a question. He asks what he has to do to have eternal life. And so this is the part of the text where if you're like me, I sympathize with this guy, right? This feels like a really reasonable question. This feels like I've been reading 19 chapters of Matthew so far, and Jesus has not answered that one question that I want him to answer, and it's this. Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Give me the brass tacks. Is it a point system? What am I missing here? Because that's what this guy is getting at, right? He's like, what good deed do I have to do? What's the task I must accomplish? You know, what do I need to do? Can I do it before dinner, shore up heaven, and then get back to Netflix, right? And Jesus says something interesting here. He says something that can trip us up sometimes. And, and there's a little thing that's happening here in the Greek, and don't like shut down or tune out because I said Greek. Um, what he says, what good deed must I do? Um, it, it's, we could also say, what good must I do? And so think about, like, Superman does good, right? So when Jesus responds, he flips the script. It's not like he pulls a single word out. He turns that same word right back to him. And so it can be tough because we can think that Jesus is Jesus saying, why are you asking me? I'm the wrong guy. But in fact, he's saying, you're asking exactly the right guy. Right? So, so he flips the script. He says the same word back to him. And that's our first clue for understanding this text. And see, Jesus, this guy has just walked up. He said one line, and Jesus already has this man's number. He's got this guy down pegged. He recognizes that this guy doesn't have a behavior problem. He has a heart problem. So let's go back to the text and flex, flesh that out. So first we see what this guy calls Jesus. He calls him a teacher. It says, teacher, what good deed must I do? And so there's our first problem. Is Jesus a good teacher? Yes, he is, but uh, he's so much more than that, right? He's never less than a good teacher, but he's so much more. And second, Jesus immediately points out, uh, sorry, he points the man back to the Lord. He says, why do you ask me about good? And so again, it's, it's easy for us to read this as saying, Jesus is like saying, oh, you're asking the wrong guy. But actually, Jesus is saying, you're asking the right guy. Why do you ask me about good? Don't you know there's only one who's good? So, in other words, Jesus wants him to understand who he's asking the question to. And third, we see that Jesus tells the guy what he already knows. Keep the commandments. 
Jesus says. Basically, he's like, you know what to do. Why are you asking me? So let's keep those three points in mind as we go on. First, you know, this man thinks that Jesus is just a good teacher. Second, Jesus is trying to point the young man to a better understanding of who he's talking to. And third, Jesus is saying the guy already knows the answer. So let's turn to 18, verse 18, 19. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so I don't know about you, but when I hear this guy talk, I am transported. I go back to junior high Houston, and when I hear him saying, which ones, it's like we can hear this man's mom sighing from here, right? We can hear through time and space this man's mom slapping her forehead. So what does Jesus say? He starts lifting off some of the Ten Commandments. It's like he's saying, oh, I don't know. How about these? Here's some good ones. And so what's important to note, though, is that this is not just a random list that he's got here. He's gone straight to the Ten Commandments. This is the cornerstone of the Old Testament law, right? And he picks out a specific ten list. And so I've got a handy graphic here to outline this. Made this myself. Well, actually, the guys in the booth made this. I just told them what to put in it. I'll take credit. Uh, So we, we got a handy graphic here. And so what we see here are the Ten Commandments, right? And so Jesus left some out when he talks to this guy. He says a few specific ones. And so, if, again, it's, it's like we're sitting here, 21st century America. We are like doing detective work to figure out what Jesus is saying. But if we put our minds back then in the first century, they know this. Like they're steeped in this. When Jesus says um, five of the ten, the other five are lit up in their minds, right? So we're doing a little bit of detective work. But the audience, they're hearing this loud and clear. And so the commands that Jesus has left out are these. Uh, you shall have no other gods, no idols, shall not bear the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath, and the last one, don't covet. So do you, th- you see a theme in all of these. Jewish thinkers and scholars have grouped the, the first four together as the commands about worship, and then the last six as commands about actions, right? And so Jesus is putting out hints here. But we'll see. This guy's not picking it up. He's not getting it. Let's turn back. Verse 20. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what possessions you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so it's probably worth acknowledging here that this guy recognizes that he's still got something missing. There's still something wrong, right? He, in all of this, as full as he is of himself, he still notices that there's something lacking. And, and I don't know about you, but that hits me, Right? That hits me. What am I still lacking? And again, Jesus hits hard back. He says, go and sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor and follow me. So let's just, let's just let that sink in. This guy comes up to Jesus and Jesus has his number from 
square one. He knew what this guy still lacked, right? He knew how this guy would respond. And this is the point where we always, or we remember what we've always heard about a passage like this, right? We start to shortcut in our minds what it means. See, you say, yep, I know, don't hold too tightly to money, or, or Jesus is worth giving it all away, or Jesus is asking you to give sacrificially. All these things are good. These are good and these are true things, but I think that's not the big point here. See, what Jesus has pointed out for this young man is not that he's wealthy. And that, that's a problem. He's pointed out that this young man has built his life on something that is, does not sustain. This young man has built up things in his life that has blocked his view of the Lord. See, if we go back to the Ten Commandments, that Jesus, or the commandments that Jesus left out, what we see is that there's really a really important one that he's left out. He's really intentionally left it out. And so later on in Matthew, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but we get to this passage. Um, it's going to be on the screen, but if you want to, just turn your Bibles the next page over. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. So again, we're going to dive in more of this later, but just, just hear these words today. So a guy comes up to him, a lawyer comes up to him and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So again, we're going we're gonna to talk about this more. We're going to dive in more of this in the next few weeks. But it's important for us to pick up what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying that the whole of the law and the prophets, and that's another way of referring to the Old Testament, right? The, the whole of the Old Testament is trying to get us to see two commands. Love the Lord your God with everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we come back to our text today, we see that this young man, he's got a handle on the second one, does he? doesn't he? He feels pretty confident that he's loved his neighbor as himself. And it's like all Jesus can see is that this young man has missed the forest for the trees, right? So when Jesus calls this young man to sell his possessions, it's not because possessions are evil, but because this man has built his possessions up in such a way that they're blocking his view of what really matters. In other words, when Jesus later is asked what's the most important commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with everything you have. And he's not loved the Lord with everything. He's loved his possessions. He's loved himself, right? So when Jesus calls this young man to follow him, it's all too clear this young man's let something get between him and the Lord. And so for this guy, yeah, it's money for sure, right? But if we think back, it's, it's probably also good deeds. Remember how confidently he said, oh, I've done all those things. I think that what we see is this man has built himself up as God, not the God of the Bible, and definitely not the Jesus that he's come to. And I think when we see this young man, we get a picture of, you know, a good, well-to-do, probably well-respected young man. He's got everything going for him. He's good to people. He's got money. And really, aren't all these things signs that God's blessed him? But the truth is that this guy is lost. This young man is so lost, and he's so lost specifically because he thinks he isn't lost. Right? 
And so it makes how Jesus responds back in our text, verse 23, it makes, makes, a little more, makes it make a little more sense, doesn't it? Let's read 23 and 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So we've heard that before, right? We've heard this passage. We've heard this verse. And it makes a little more sense now, right? Now that we've spent a little more time with this young man, we, we kind of get what Jesus is getting at. Jesus points out that for the wealthy, it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And so there's all kinds of um, stories about, oh, the eye of a needle was uh, a a gateway in Jerusalem, and a camel could fit through. You know, you you might have heard some of these before. They're really fun to talk about. But really, the the evidence seems to point that that was just a a story that developed later. I think, unfortunately, the, the truth is that Jesus means what he says here. I mean, you get the, it's, a, it's almost comical how exaggerated it is, right? Big camel plus small needle does not equal fit, right? Jesus is making a point here, and it can be scary. It's like a scary point when we hear that, right? And in fact, that's exactly what the disciples thought. Verse 25 says this, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so this right here is the crux of the whole passage. The disciples worry. They think, if it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, what chance does any of us have? What chance does anyone have? And Jesus' response is so important. He says, for man, these are impossible, but all things are possible for God. So here we are. Back to where we started. We remember this rich young man. We see that Jesus knew where he was coming from. And Jesus knew what was standing in the way of him. What was, the way, what was in the way of him following Jesus, right? Jesus knew it didn't matter how good this guy was, how much good he did, that this man had a fundamental problem, right? A heart and worship problem. And I want you to hear this. Even with all of that, Even knowing how he'd respond, Jesus is saying there's still hope. And and God can still work in this man's life. So I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. Jesus knew that what this man had was a heart and worship problem. And that this problem he could not overcome. And Jesus knew that what was impossible for this man to overcome was not impossible for Jesus. So the point is this. We're all building up different things in front of Jesus, right? We've all got something that we put in front of following him and living the life that he's called for us. For some of us, it is money. Uh, For some of us, it's comfort. For some of us, it could be our jobs, our friends, our hobbies. It could be anything. We all build things up in in front of Jesus, right? Good things, even. Things like material blessings or good deeds or self sufficiency, these are all good things. This man had had not idolized bad things in his life. But these are all good things, good blessings, but very bad masters. And so it's here in this 
point of tension that Peter does us a great service, doesn't he? It's like he could sense that this cloud of tension in the room, and he jumps forward and he puts his foot in his mouth. Let's read verse 27 to 30. Then Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So let's not get lost in the weeds here. Jesus is talking about the 12 apostles in Israel, and this can feel like a lot, right? Jesus is he's using imagery here to really drive his point home. He's talking, he's taking another opportunity, really, to point to himself and to point to um, his saving power, right? Point to the fact that he's the one that saves. And so when he says uh, that the 12 will sit over the tribes of Israel, He's really drawing our attention to the story of Israel. So he wants us to see that Israel, if we think back to the Old Testament, Israel was given the law. They were given, essentially, the list of good deeds, right, that they needed to do. And the good deeds that they needed to do in order to keep uh, their covenant with God. And the, the whole story of the Old Testament is a series of examples about how this people group did not keep their covenant, Right? Time and time again, they keep the letter of the commands, but you know things like honor your father and mother, don't bear false witness, don't murder, right? This list that Jesus gave this guy, they honor the, they keep the letter of the commands, but they lost the spirit of it all, right? Somewhere along the way, they forgot that all these things were supposed to point them to Jesus, point them to, to the Lord, Right? They forgot that all these things were supposed to do was just to point their hearts to the one they were doing them for. So in all these commands, in all of the laws of the Old Testament, they were supposed to see that the point was not just to do good deeds that would save them, but to love well the one who would. I'll say that again. The Old Testament law was supposed to show people not the good deeds they needed to do to get saved, the point was so the people would respond in love to the one who would save them. Here we are again. Here we are again, time after time, to the fundamental problem. Their hearts were broken. They couldn't do it. They worshipped things instead of the Lord. And this young man, he worshipped his money, his ability, his goodness, himself. Whatever it was, he wasn't worshipping the Lord, right? Right? Jesus wants us to see that this is the same problem that we all have today. He wants us to realize how easily we can build up something as our God instead of him. And he wants us to see that in order to follow him, in order to receive this life that he has for us, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us everything. That's what he's saying here when he says, everyone who loses mother or father or land or house or family or friends for my name's sake, Jesus knows how much he's asking of us, right? He knows that it's going to cost us a lot. This call to follow Jesus could cost us our jobs, 
It could cost us relationships. God forbid it could cost us more than that. But what does Jesus promise? That we will receive it back a hundredfold. And this isn't some blank check that Jesus is writing us. You know, you give us, give him your possessions, he's going to give you this check, you buy whatever you want. Look at what he's saying specifically. He says, for all who lose family and land and relationships, it will be paid back. This is not a list of possessions. This is a list of things that make you comfortable. This is a list of things that you people use to define themselves. Right? Jesus isn't just asking you to give up your money. He's saying that his call asks you to give up yourself. Your identity. Where you put your value. He wants us to give up that place that we call home. He wants us to give up that thing that we put our trust in. He wants us to give up whatever it is that we build up so that's more important than him. So the message, you know, it's clear, right? Jesus is calling us. He's asking us to give up everything. But he's promising that we're going to get so much more in return. And, and I think that if you hear one thing today, hear this. <clears throat> this is not a story of loss. This passage is not about loss. This is a story of gain. See, what Jesus calls us to give up, money, power, security, friends, family, I mean, whatever it is, is nothing compared to what we'll gain. He's promised us that we will have new life in him. He's promised that we'll have family unlike what we've ever known. He's promised a type of security that doesn't rust or bankrupt or collapse with the economy. He's promised us a love that never fails. So wherever we're at this morning, I want us to to consider the words of Jesus and consider what he's calling us to today. For some of us, this, this is the first we're hearing about Jesus, right? This is the first time we're hearing that call. And to those of us hearing it for the first time, I want to encourage you to hear the call, listen to the call. And, and this could be scary, right? It's like I've said, Jesus, Jesus is calling us to something costly. But I promise you, it's so worth it. Uh, Zach said this one time, he said, count the costs, yes, but don't forget to count the gain. It's so important. And for some of us, we may be like this young man, right? We came to Jesus. We feel pretty good about ourselves. I think that I've got things more or less in order. But there's still something missing, right? There's still something that we see we lack. And I want to encourage you to really think about what that is. And here's a hint. It's not a list of things that we've done or left undone. You know, we confess this morning, it's so good to recognize that we have done things that we ought not, and we haven't done things we ought to have. But I'm telling you again, that's not our problem. That's a symptom. So part of the power of this passage is that we see Jesus meet someone so sure of their own ability 
And instead of blasting him, Jesus moves to him. Jesus moves to him in love, calls him. And so Jesus' call to this young man is like his call to us today. It's not a call to work harder. It's not a call to kill ourselves trying to be good enough. It's a call to trust in him and to follow him. And so for those of us who are in this boat, I'd encourage you to just spend some time trying to sort out the ways that you've built yourself up as something that's saving you. Again, it could be um, that sense of security that we get in doing good things. It could be a sense of pride and that we are so good, whatever it is. Um, it could, again, it could even be financial things, whatever. I want to encourage you to, to spend time in prayer and, and talking with other believers. Um, and let's, let's try to seek out those things that we've set up as idols in our lives. And then let's spend time in prayer turning that over to Jesus. Because he's the one who saves, right? And so for some of us, we don't have this problem of working hard for our salvation. In fact, uh, some of us, we can tend to have the opposite problem, right? It's easy to hear that Jesus is the one who saves, and that we can't earn salvation, and then we say, bingo, I'm done. Uh, and so this group, I want to remind us of Jesus' words to the young man. He said, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and follow me. So whether or not Jesus is calling you to sell your possessions here, he is absolutely calling you, and he's calling you to follow him. And so consider that call. Consider what it means to really follow Jesus, because it is an active thing. We don't earn our salvation, that's for sure, but it, at the very least, looks like following and acting in obedience. So as we wrap up this morning, um, you know, I recognize there's a lot here, Right? And I think it's easy for me to hear all this and just get overwhelmed. Um, again, it's easy for me, my list of things that I've got to walk away from this doing, right? But at the end of the day, I want us to remember, this is a simple call. It's not an easy one, but it is a simple call. It's a call to follow. It's a call to discipleship. And so uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer um, is a, was a German pastor who, who really knew what uh, the cost was of discipleship, um, what the cost was to answer this call. He was a uh, pastor um, during the rise of Hitler in Nazi, Nazi Germany, Nazi Germany uh, who publicly spoke against the regime, right? Um, and eventually he had to flee the country for a threat of his own life. Um, but the, the story goes that he got so discontent living in, I think it was London, um, that he went back, smuggled himself back into Nazi Germany so that he could continue raising up pastors and uh, uh, church people in the middle of the Nazi regime. And, uh, I mean, to me, I see someone who understands what that call of discipleship costs, right? And so he's got a book, it's a phenomenal book. I really can't recommend it enough. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. Um, and so what I'm going to do as we close is I'm just going to read this section because he said it better than I could. 
the young man seeks an answer to his question. The answer is Jesus Christ. The young man wanted to hear the word of a good master, but now he has to recognize that this word is actually the man himself whom he is questioning. The young man is standing before Jesus, the Son of God. The full encounter is present. The only choices are yes or no, obedience or disobedience. And the young man's answer is no. He went away sadly. He was disappointed and had lost his hope, but he still could not abandon his past. He had a lot of property. The call to discipleship here has no other content than Jesus Christ himself, being bound to him, community with him. But the existence of a disciple does not consist in enthusiastic respect for a good master. Instead, it is obedience towards the Son of God. And so this is the heart of the passage today, right? This isn't some complicated list of things to do or people to be. It's a simple call. It's a call to Jesus, and it's a call to follow him. And yes, it is costly, but it's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time we get to spend. I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for that call that you've given us, Lord. Um, I thank you that it is costly because it reminds us how valuable it is, how valuable you are, Lord. Um, I pray that as each of us are in different places as we hear this today, that you would move in our hearts, um, that you would work through your spirit to point out what it is you'd have us hear, uh, open up our hearts and minds to receive your word, Lord. We love you, and we just want to follow you and love you. Love you more, Lord. We thank you for everything you give us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.